0: Skull Rock Podcast is brought to you by the generosity of the following companies. Shure, sound extraordinary. To podcasters, recording musicians, and streamers who are looking for studio quality audio at home or on the road, the Shure MV7 Podcast Kit is a premium all-in-one solution inspired by the legendary Shure SM7B and is designed to address the versatility required by modern creators. For more on the Shure MV7 podcast kit, visit shure.com, S-H-U-R-E.com, or click the link in our show notes. Shure, sound extraordinary. And by The Old Mill Press, publishing beautifully crafted books that illuminate our world. To learn more, visit theoldmillpress.com. And by listeners like you. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all
1: things Disney, with your hosts El John Go and Dave Bossert.
0: Welcome once again to Skull Rock Podcast, your show about all things Disney and pop culture. Every week, we take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music as well as what's streaming, what's playing in theaters, and what's going on in this multiverse of entertainment. Howdy, hey, I'm Al John Goh, musician and longtime Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, and pop culturist. And you can email me, John A-L-J-O-N, at skullrockpodcast.com.
1: And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and your lovely co-host here at the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney... And pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Al John, happy Labor Day weekend.
0: Yes, sir. It's Labor Day. The marks the official end of summer. And where has the time gone, Dave.
1: I know it's it's unbelievable, you know, and I'll tell you, it is a true Labor Day weekend for me. I've been laboring (laughs) signing books.
0: I love it. You put up a a short recently on your channel and you just flip through the book just really quickly. And I have to say, man, that House of Tomorrow book, man, it looks so awesome.
1: Yeah, no, I I am just thrilled with how the House of the Future book turned out. Um, And um, I just can't wait for people to have it in their hands. And, you know, the people that pre-ordered the uh, signed edition, they are getting their books towards the end of next week. Oh, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. Well, it it, it shows that uh, you need to take action quickly. Um, You know, order the book. You can order an autographed version of it from old Dave here. And uh, just just have a great time because your books are so quality, Dave. They're amazing um, works of art. I mean, the paper stock, the way it's bound, all the different things you put into the book. I mean, it, you talk about a labor of love. This really is a labor of love for you, every one of these projects. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you know the book in person. And I know a lot of our listeners would be interested in it.
1: Well thank you for that. I you know I have to tell you anytime you you set out to do something you always want to do it the best you possibly can. That's right. You know the best quality and you know I'm not plugging stuff into a spreadsheet to say you know oh we can't use that and we can't do this. It's all about doing the best you can.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, and always put your best up for best foot forward and these books are amazing. So, uh pick yourself up pick yourself up something nice or set yourself up uh w- you know for a friend or family member that is interested. They make great gifts as well. So, uh go ahead and do it.
1: Yeah, and by the way, uh Aljon and I are going to do a whole episode on The House of the Future. We're going to talk about that attraction uh, in, uh next month and so uh there'll be plenty for you to hear about with the
0: house of the future. I'm loving it. Uh, this week, we've got an awesome guest for once again, just an unprecedented uh, interview with Dave Spafford. I mean,
1: part yeah, three. we've got part three, part three. And I, I, I honestly, I think we're going to have like another two parts to this interview because there's <laughs> so much, there's so much for Dave to talk about.
0: I love his storytelling. You know, I mean, I feel like you, we sit down for these interviews and I listen in and, you know, we, we we banter back and forth, but, you know, we're just scratching the surface of all these great stories he's been a part of during the Disney Renaissance. And and to be honest, you know, there's not, a, I try to look for a lot of the Ron Miller era stuff and just his stories about the, early, you know, that era of Disney just has gone untold. And I just love hearing you you and uh, Dave go back and forth about working uh, under Ron Miller. And also the um, Don Bluth stuff is always great to talk about because it's just, we we need more of that. I love it.
2: Yep. Yep. I agree. I agree.
0: Anyway, Uh, once again, I encourage everybody to uh, fill out the form or send us a drop us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Give us those five-star reviews and and subscribe to the show, wherever you find podcasts. Um, But Before we get into this awesome interview, let's talk about what have we been streaming this week and watching, Dave?
1: Well, you know, I went to see Equalizer 3 in IMAX, and I believe in my opinion, that this is probably, uh, well, this is better than part two, but this might be the best one so far in the franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and all I have to say, Al John yes. is Denzel Washington. Ah, yeah, he is just great. You know, he, he is such a great actor. And when he flashes that smile, it, it, it's just lights up the screen. Yeah. You know, and uh, and he's cool as a cucumber in this role. And uh, it's just a, a, an incredible film. And it's shot in a beautiful location, this uh, village in Sicily, Italy. Oh, okay. Nice. And it, it really is a uh, wonderful film. I just loved it. I just thought it was so well made uh and Denzel Washington is just a great actor he's just a great actor to watch on a big screen
0: I, I agree 100 you talk about someone with the magnetism the charisma of a Denzel Washington I mean that's really all you have to say and I thought the the first movie was great I have yet to see the second one but uh that's awesome that this is yeah
1: the, this one's terrific and and you know, look, the bottom line, it's murder and mayhem, rinse, repeat, as one uh, reviewer had put it. Uh, it's uh, it, it, There is a lot of violence in this movie, but it's very calculating, and it's also a lot of character development that goes on, but it's not uh, at all boring. It, it is really good storytelling, and that's what I love about this film.
0: Have you seen a Denzel Washington movie that was not good? No, because I don't think he does bad projects. I don't think he does either. I, yeah. I can't. Nothing comes to mind. He's so good and yeah. he chooses great scripts. So I'm looking forward to seeing this, Dave.
1: Yeah. I also uh, watched a limited series on Netflix called Who is Aaron Carter? Yeah. Uh, and that is very good. If you have a chance, check that out. It's eight episodes. It's all shot in Spain, uh, in Barcelona. Mm, I love Barcelona, uh, and uh, I thought it was excellent. Uh, it's it's a bit of a uh, crime um, uh, spy thriller kind of thing. Uh, Hence the name, Who is Aaron Carter? Uh, I'm not going to give anything away there, but that's on Netflix. I thoroughly enjoyed the eight eight episodes and uh, two thumbs up from me. Uh, Reservation Dogs on Hulu. I'm watching the final season of that series from um, uh, Waitiki. Yes. And uh, it's very good. You know, there's, there's a good cast in there. I've heard about. It, I yeah. watched the final episode of Justified: City Primeval, and it is unbelievable. <laughs> oh, nice! It will blow your socks off. It awesome. brings back a character from the original series, and it leaves this open for more. Completely like it. leaves it open for more, and I hope they do more. Awesome. Uh, I've also watched uh, part of season three of Murders in the Building on Hulu. Yeah, Steve Martin, uh, Martin. Martin Short, Selena, uh, and Selena Gomez yes. are back again solving murders. And guest stars this season: Paul Rudd, oh, and and Meryl Streep. Ooh, it's fantastic. I like it. And then uh, I watched a couple of episodes of Poker Face on uh, Peacock, and it's very good. It's a a very good show, and uh, so far I've really enjoyed the couple of episodes that I watched, uh, so I'm going to continue watching that. And then I wanted our listeners to know the Righteous Gemstones, there will be a fourth season. There you go. And and I'm thrilled by that because if you haven't seen The Righteous Gemstones on Hulu, please watch that. It is a fantastic funny as hell show. Uh you'll really enjoy it. Uh it does poke fun at these Christian mega churches and it's just great. It's really terrific.
0: That's right. Cool.
1: So that's what I've been watching, uh, and that's what I have to report on. Uh,
0: Al, John, what have you been watching? It's a been a slow week for me, uh, just a lot of work and dealing with the kids. However, um, I did catch up on Ahsoka, and Ahsoka, of course, a Star Wars spinoff uh, series on Disney Plus. I personally love the series, and it just seems to me it's so funny uh, how these shows with huge franchise tentpole franchises like star wars have such a divisive audience um and seeing the scuttlebutt online regarding oh it's not true to george lucas whatever look dave filoni the director writer of this show learned from george lucas and i've learned over time that he knows what he's doing he doesn't break canon he doesn't do these things. He only enhances the stories that are being told, and I really appreciate the details and the affection that this series has been putting out there. And some people are saying, you know, Rosario Dawson is not uh, is not compelling in in this. Uh, I I tend to disagree. I believe she's playing up to a more mature character. And I really like the the banter back and forth. So we'll just have to see, you know, how it ends. And I am looking forward to it. So Ahsoka, thumbs uh, up for me.
1: You know something, I honestly, I think she's doing a great job. I think, uh, I think, as is. the lead character, I I thought it was it was really terrific, and, and honestly, some of that chatter uh, from hardcore uh, Star Wars fans is insignificant to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, people shouldn't listen to that kind of stuff. Oh, they want George Louie. That's like people saying, "Oh, we want Walt Disney back r- running the company." Well, it ain't going to happen, right? You know.
0: Well, you know the the funny thing is about this is you see people when it's really good it's star wars when it's really bad it's disney star wars and i'm like guys come on you know yeah. i mean let, let's uh, let's let's put it out there i mean the you know that's disney star wars rogue one that's disney star wars come on people get over yourselves and i f- i feel like people are playing into that whole you know people create these models uh, online uh, for their content creation that they're gonna bat they literally have a uh, bash uh, disney and that's part of their business model and they cater to those fans and i think you know take it for what it is you know discover yeah. it for yourself uh something that's super funny though is uh, i you know me i'm a big wrestling fan i love john cena i think he's he's <laughs> tremendous he's so much fun and here he is again you know if you liked him in peacemaker on hbo plus for dc or or, or whatever. or He just amps it up just to a comedic level. So funny. Vacation Friends 2 is now streaming on Hulu. It's the sequel to what I thought was a very funny uh, romp, uh, Vacation Friends. And here we are. So you have uh, little Ray Howery, who plays Marcus, and his wife, Jan um, uh, Orgy Emily. They uh, are a married couple. They, of course, in the first movie, befriend Meredith Hager uh, and John Cena's character as just like the polar opposite couple. So the two of them decide to go on vacation together. And, of course, uh, the two couples, the two couples go on vacation together. But it's vacation guys under a business trip because, you know, uh, Lil, Ray, uh, Lil Ray's um, uh, construction company is supposed to be working on a hotel. And uh, he was paid to get wine and dine, to get this bid on, uh, to build and expand this uh, luxury hotel resort. And he brings his whole friend, all of his friends with him. And of course, chaos ensues as the director and owner of the hotel comes in and they have to meet. And of course, uh, one of the wrenches that I was not prepared of uh, coming into it is guest starring Steve Buscemi. Who oh, plays, really? Okay. Who plays the ex con dad of uh, John Cena's wife And he, of course, is a million bucks. He's so funny. He's
1: so so good. He's just so good. good. And, of course, he's
0: an ex-con. He's a con man. So, of course, he gets them roped into this adventure, and it leads them into all kinds of shenanigans. And it is absolutely great. I highly recommend it. It's a funny comedy. If you haven't seen the first one, please go out of your way and see it. Vacation Friends 2 now streaming on Hulu. I love it.
1: Uh, All right. That's fantastic. Thanks.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's not every day I talk about comedies. I'm usually Mr. Horror Movie here, so uh, it's kind of funny. But anyway, hey, let us know what you've been streaming. We appreciate it. And uh, maybe we'll review your 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 pick uh, in an upcoming episode.
3: Skull Rock Podcast. Ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast Headline
0: News. Well, Dave, it seems that the movie going public agrees with your you know, your review of the Equalizer 3, as it is the largest box office debut, grossing $13.1 million for opening day uh, Labor Day weekend. The second best in Labor Day be- debuts ever, Dave. How about yeah, that? I
1: know it's 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 tracking for $42 million for Labor Day weekend.
0: Absolutely. Um, it's typically a boo for the box office. You know, Shang-Chi had this uh, set the record a couple years ago with a 94, 94.6 million dollar four day opening. So uh, that's pretty awesome. And of course, uh, there are other films in there as well. Uh, Gran Turismo you uh, you haven't seen that yet have you or did you No, see it I yet?
1: haven't seen it um it, it just you know I I had a choice here you know every week I have a choice between so many movies you know to to go see something and I chose to see Equalizer 3 with Denzel because I knew I knew it was going to be good because it's Denzel right right um and you know I've heard about I've heard you know, a lot about Gran Turismo and I will see it. It's just, I it
0: wasn't at the top of my list for the weekend. And it would be for me either, even though it's based on a video game or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it's also based on, you know, the sport world, sporting world, racing right. world. Anyway, so that's in the mix as well. Then of course uh, you have other uh, plummets uh, that happened as well. Of course, Barbie and blue beetle, um, so there you there you have it i mean yeah i think
1: blue beetle's kind of petering out
0: yeah and and barbie's losing some steam too. you know 62 yeah, percent drop but, over but, the past but i weeks, mean
1: for but, crying out loud five weeks out you know i mean it's already crossed the billion dollar mark mm-hmm. i mean it's uh it, it's probably going to be one of the biggest movies of the
0: year yep so it already beat super mario brothers uh yeah. in, in first so congratulations to barbie you know speaking of ahsoka you know you and i both watch ahsoka on disney plus uh there's a press release from disney plus saying that the uh first episode draw drew 14 million views and uh there you have it you know it's been a fan favorite seemingly um and it looks like they'll continue its run. I mean, I, I, Ahsoka new episodes drop every Tuesday at six. They've got a few more episodes left in the uh, you know left to shoot out there, but uh, you know that's quite quite a considerable uh, achievement for Disney. It's weird though that uh, they usually don't talk about their streaming numbers, but I think they just want to get out there and, and kind of buck the narrative that it's like the worst you know viewed show on TV oh
1: i i listen i I didn't I watched the first two episodes Al John and you know I'm not like a crazy Star Wars fan, but I've watched most of the Star Wars films over the years I've gone to see them in the theaters i I loved the Mandalorian I loved andor uh I like Osaka yeah there you go.
0: I yeah. mean I
1: I absolutely like it and uh and I think it's a good cast and I'm looking forward to seeing
0: uh you know more of the episodes Yeah I do too. I like the whole based on Shogun Japanese you know style um, very influenced by what George Lucas did with the Kurosawa film so I'm really digging it
1: you know and and I also think, that uh, Disney should be putting out these kinds of press releases and letting folks know that uh, that many people have watched certain episodes and things like that. I think that's great great for them to do.
0: Yeah, toot your own horn. Let people know that these are yeah. big successes. Maybe more people will put some eyeballs on it. Well, yeah, especially of,
1: now, let's <laughs> have more positive news on Disney <laughs> instead of all the negative stuff that's hitting the airwaves. Let's
0: do that. I, you know, they, they do need to do a little bit more spin and more more happy, fun posts. Uh, what isn't happy, though, is a bunch of people that have charter. Uh, they want to blow up the paid TV bundle in the Disney fight. This is not a typical carriage dispute. The cable giant with nearly 15 million subs told Analyst Friday that it's prepared to move on. From its video business, because we've reached the point of indifference, this comes to us from The Hollywood Reporter. Dave, this is huge.
1: Yeah, this really is. And uh, this is really about uh, the pay TV bundle, which is cable television, you know, and we all have experience with that. You know, you pay a set price and you get you know, all, all the chan all these channels and some of those channels you don't even want. And I think, you know, John, I think we're at some kind of an inflection point here with pay TV. I think they have to blow this model up and, and come up with something new. Maybe it's an a la carte plan. Maybe you get some basic number of channels and then you pick the other channels you want uh, for a price. You know, uh, I, I, I think they have to do something. Uh, to compete with streaming television and the fact that they're taking a stance that the uh, dropping Disney may be permanent because they can't come to an agreement. Wow, that, that's huge news that that hit the stock, by the way, on Friday. The stock dropped another two dollars to an all-time low right now of like eighty-two bucks a share on Friday.
0: It makes me want 80, to buy uh, more stock.
1: <laughs> eighty-two dollars and change. I, I mean that that that's really awful. I think considering that just over uh, a year and a half ago, the stock was at two hundred bucks a share. Uh,
0: yeah, isn't that telling?
1: Yeah, I mean it's kind of crazy. But um the reason why it dropped is that if it's if Charter uh Spectrum uh, makes this a permanent drop of Disney uh from their uh, uh pay TV bundle, that's like a 2.2 billion dollar hit to Disney.
0: They can't afford that no not at this time I mean I th-
1: I think it's just, I think it's just craziness I I think that if they're gonna figure out what a new pay TV bundle is, uh they they should do it with disney you know i mean disney should participate in that i think you know there's a lot of finger pointing going on here and i hope that i hope this isn't you know permanent i hope that they do work something out it's kind of crazy
0: it really is plus it has a ripple effect amongst the entire world of, of streamers and and, in, television, because I mean, look at the advertising rights alone Um, series rights, different things like that. That's huge. So um, let's, let's see. I mean, we'll let you know how it unfolds. Uh, One of your favorite series, Dave, the Lincoln lawyer is set for season three, but Nev Campbell is departing. David E. Kelly's legal drama starring Emmanuel Garcia Rufo, uh Rolfo will return for another season but Campbell will be sitting out for this last season Dave
1: Yeah that I look I I've enjoyed the first two seasons of Lincoln Lawyer you know it, it, it it's you know procedural you know legal drama uh it's fun you know my my friend Rick who's a lawyer uh says it's completely unrealistic, you know? And I said, I don't care. I find it entertaining. So there you have it. Well,
0: but most of those are, I mean, look, you you have a a bunch of characters in a toy box and you have about, you know, 40 minutes to tell a, a good story. And, there you go. You know, just like CSI or Law and Order. I mean, really, it, while it's based on some truth, you can't, you can't possibly tell it all <laughs> in that, yeah. again, that time. I, I'm just happy that there's going to be a season three. You know that's good, and you know what I'm sad about um, is how I met your father is being canceled after two seasons on Hulu. And I thought this was a popular show. I thought it was too. It really was. And how I met your father, Sophie played in the future by Kim Cattrall and Hilary Duff in the present recounts uh, her son. Uh, you know, basically a tale of how she met his father, and it's set in the '90s. Very similar to, you know, how I met your uh, how I met your mother but um, which, which I did watch yes when that was out and I thought that was a good series. Yeah. It's a, it's a great show. It's very funny. And I feel this way too. I, I mean, first of all, Hillary Duff is just, you know, America's sweetheart. I think she's a great, great actress. It's funny. And I think the ensemble cast is great too, but unfortunately, you know, I guess I didn't watch it enough, Dave, because it's being canceled. So it's too bad. It's too bad. Here's something interesting, Dave, you know, it's been several years now since the White House decided to um, I guess declassify a bunch of sensitive information regarding unidentified flying objects. And now they've put up a website. The United States Defar- Department of Defense Department Department of Defense <laughs> <laughs> is increasing its public stance on UFO and uh, unidentified anomalous phenomenon also known as UAPs in a new website, Dave. It says, welcome to the website for the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, or the AARO. Our team of experts is leading the U.S. government's efforts to address unidentified anomaly phenomenon using a rigorous scientific framework and data-driven approach, says the boss, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, on the new website. Uh, Dave, I've seen the new website. It's it's at AARO.MIL. That is an official U.S domain website for the government. mil, and um, it's interesting it's why, why the interesting. heck
1: are they changing the uh, the the names Just call it a UFO a- <laughs> everybody's familiar with that UFO why yes. are we calling it unidentified a nominal what? <laughs> Phenomenon.
0: Phenomenon. <laughs> Unidentified I anomalous mean, UAFs.
1: Anomalous. I mean, come on, they're
0: UFOs. <laughs> it says UAP means airborne objects that are not immediately identifiable. B, transmedium objects or devices and submerged objects or devices that are not immediately identified. And that display behavior performance characteristics suggesting that the objects or devices may be related to objects or devices subscribed in subparagraph A or B. <laughs> Just like a government website, Dave. <laughs> oh my God. It's you know, leave,
1: leave it to the government to make it as complicated as you possibly can. Exactly. You know? I mean I mean come not, on let's just call it martian.com exactly you know? actually that would have yeah, been alien.net.
0: alien.net alien. you know? Net, you, know, you see but you're taking up another website dedicated to uh, uh James Cameron <laughs> <laughs> aliens right I mean it is a James Cameron I mean
1: for crying out loud <laughs> I know right? uh, but you know what I do think here, here's what I think about this I think I think the US government is is setting everybody up for some kind of a reveal in the future.
0: Oh you my know? gosh! I I don't know if I can handle it. I don't know if I'd be you know? able to handle it. I'm going to well, I, I'm going to I, Devil's I'm, Tower and making a Devil's Tower replica with mashed potatoes right now.
1: Uh, honestly, <laughs> I'm I'm putting on my tinfoil hat right now because I will tell you that, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, it would be crazy for any of us to think that we're the only intelligent life in the universe. That's
0: what I'm saying, Dave. I mean, aliens. Yeah. It's out there. It's all X Files, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So there you have it. Here we go. You know this this riff, Dave? Oh, man. It's an end of an era, Dave. Jimmy Buffett. This was, this was a shock. Oh, my gosh. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've played Margaritaville in my decades-long career of being a, 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 a guitar player in a cover band. Since I was in high school, it's one of my very first covers. I learned that in Van Morrison's Brown Eyed Girl. But uh, Jimmy Buffett, Margaritaville singer, passes away at the age of 76. He expanded his iconic beach bum image throughout his career, coming out with beach-themed clothing, a Margaritaville restaurant chain, hotels, and more. This guy is the hardest-working guy in music, Dave. Uh, His biographies are out there, but, of course, he was, uh, you know, passed away. He had a statement shared on his website and social media late Friday. A quote said, uh, Jimmy passed away peacefully on the night of September 1st, surrounded by his family and friends, music and dogs. He lived his life like a song till the very last breath and it will be missed beyond measure by so many. Uh, he passed away at his home in Sag Harbor, Long Island, just uh, up the street from where he grew up, Dave. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Following a four-year battle with Merkel, cell skin cancer and uh he continued to perform during the treatment before playing his last show a surprise concert of rhode island in early july wow um he will be missed you know this guy grew up uh born in mississippi grew up in alabama went on to pursue a, a career in country music after graduating from college and worked in cover bands and his solo career and of course his debut album down to earth didn't catch many people's attention. And it wasn't until later that songs like Margaritaville it's five o'clock somewhere. Come Monday volcano. Uh, just a few, uh, came out and, you know, basically changed the, the latitudes and change in attitudes back in 1977. It's just amazing. What a great career.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, just, uh, uh, really it- interesting guy from the standpoint that he wasn't just a musician. He was an entrepreneur. He had the Margaritaville restaurant chain. He had some resorts as well. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, he had the clothing line, he did all kinds of stuff. He, and, and, and I've seen interviews with him over the years and uh, he just seemed like a very down to earth individual and somebody who just really enjoyed life. Uh, and I, and I know a few people who had, met him and, and known him. Uh, And they all had very good things to say that he was just a genuinely nice guy. Um, And it's just sad to see. And it was a real shock. It was a surprise when I saw his obituary uh, pop up and that he had passed away uh, yesterday. Or yeah. Saturday, I should say, uh, Saturday, September second. Uh, uh, he passed away on Friday,
0: the first. Yeah, it's just, it's really it's really sad, an end of an uh, an era uh, for all music. And you know, where Kiss, the the rock band, really developed merchandise and was a global merchandising machine. Um, Jimmy Buffett really was more of the lifestyle. He really opened the door for musicians to brand themselves. In different ways with his mm-hmm. resorts and his cruise, uh, his cruise line and his merchandise um, branching out into marketing his own uh, signature tequila and mixes and different things. But that's a lifestyle. And yeah. and he really, really struck a nerve uh, with all people all over the globe that wanted to live that Margaritaville lifestyle. And I have to say, Dave, now I'm, I'm sounding like you, I have to say, Dave, that margaritaville <laughs> is really one of my favorite brands i mean i i've got margaritaville glasses i'm a i'm a I'm, I'm a fan of course my wife is a huge parrot head but his his cocktails and his tequilas are just really good i'm just a fan but, and,
1: and uh, you know i really hope that uh all of that carries on uh you know uh just uh, uh that that whole Uh, lifestyle of jimmy buffett and his music just carries on i I think he's a mainstay of yacht rock isn't
0: he yeah he really is you know just that's that that really i mean he really kind of bridged the gap between singer songwriter country musician pop rocker uh he, he checked a lot of boxes off for a lot of people and every time you saw him play it was a good time so uh rest in peace jimmy buffett And uh, we'll see you down the road for sure. We'll see you on the other side. See you on the other side. All right. Now let's go into our feature for this week. Once again, part three, an amazing part three with animator Dave Spafford. Sit back and relax right here on Skull Rock Podcast.
1: Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Well, Al John, we are back again. This is the third week in a row with the legendary animator, Dave Spafford. And Dave, welcome back to the Skull Rock podcast. Yeah. You know... Dave, I got to tell you last week we kind of left off with you being rehired at Disney on Who Framed Roger Rabbit and as I said at the end of last week's episode I really wanted to spend a little time talking about the work you did on Who Framed Roger Rabbit because you know the the dueling pianos with Daffy and Donald Duck is like a legendary scene I think in in the history of animation uh and so let's pick up you 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 got rehired and they showed you your desk after you did orientation what happened next
3: well so they they give me a room i thought i was going to be just picking up freelance so i'm like on wow they've hired me back uh even with the burning a bridge with gas you know it was yeah i can't believe i'm i'm back which was and it felt good. You know, I, I was, it was a, a huge surprise for me and it felt really good. I felt like, oh man, I'm back. And it is different now, you know? And so they put me in a room and, and they're going, okay, well, we're, you're, what we're going to have you work on is uh, Oliver and company. And, you know, and I'm like going, ah, oh, God, Cats, I've have already done enough cats in my life. It's like oh, because banjo was cats and
1: right, banjo the woodpile cat. one oh uh,
3: okay. Well, like hey, what am I? What am I complaining for? Just get into it and shut up. And you you got a great job. So then then I kind of watching the storyboards. I went, mm, you know what the there's the, the hot dog man, which is he's all by himself. It's just one character. I'm going. I'm gonna see if I can do the hot dog man. So I did a, I did a, a test of the hot dog man and it was just a, it was just the hot dog man holding a bun and pulling a, a must, a, a thing of mustard across it, laying a bead of mustard across the the hot dog. Nothing is moving. The guy is, he's nothing but a held drawing.
1: He's like stone faced.
3: Yeah. Just like, I hate my job. I've done this a billion times and and I'm rudely, squirting mustard on this <laughs> nasty hot dog and I've got flies flying around the guy and everything. And, um, and so I, I, I showed that to uh, George Scribner and he's going, Oh yeah, oh, man, that's great. And he goes, well, do you want to do the hot dog, man? And I went, yeah. So I ended up working on the hot dog, man, but that didn't last very long. And then I knew I was going to be like working on cats. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll see if I can work on Fagin. So I did a Fagin test. And that was really fun, and then the whole thing goes on hold. They 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 just stopped the film because the the story wasn't working, so they pulled everybody off it, told everybody just kind of hang, and we're gonna fix the story. So in the meantime, I assigned myself because the rumor was that they were, they were that Spielberg and Zemeckis and Richard Williams were working on a test. For Roger Rabbit. Yeah. And I and I thought, oh man, that would be what a that what a cool film that would be. Live action film with animation. Oh my God, how cool is that? So I assigned myself to doing development. So I started storyboarding ideas, character designs. I made maquettes of all the main characters. Some of them weren't even developed, some of them were partly developed.
2: Yeah.
3: Um and there was one day, now my whole room was filled. My room was the Roger Abbott room, what it looked like. Also, one day, Ed Hansen comes walking around with, with Peter Schneider, um, Bob Zemeckis, Robert Watts, the producer, uh, Kathleen Kennedy, Bob Zemeckis and Richard Williams and maybe Spilver, I can't remember if he was there or not. But they were all being given a tour of the studio. And they walked past my room and they went, "Whoa, oh, oh, whoa, what's this? Are you guys working on this? They thought that Disney had put a crew together and was, you know, and they went and, and they're going, no, 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 no. This is Dave. He he doesn't have anything to work on. So he just assigned himself to.
1: Play around with stuff. Play yeah. around with some ideas.
3: And they walked in and they were like gone. Oh, that's a good idea. Hey, you know, because like, I had stuff like the 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 uh, the Toontown uh, in Toontown or, or near the near the uh, the the lot was the Acme Warehouse. Right, right. kept props and stuff for cartoons, you know, yeah. I had drawn like a, a thousand dopies in the all stacked in the corner, you know, just based off that one cartoon where, you know, there's like a everywhere that guy goes, this droopy character pops up. So I I made it like, oh, there's a bunch of fiberglass ones that they made, and they're just in the warehouse. And so they're looking at that, going, ah, cartoon warehouse, Acme, yeah, Acme. The oh yeah, that way they're always in the cartoons. And so they're like looking at all these ideas, and they're looking at the maquettes and stuff. And they're going, you want to work on this thing? And I just looked at, I said get me out of here because <laughs> I, I didn't want to work on the cats.
1: Right. Right. You didn't want to work on Oliver and company. Right. yeah.
3: And, um, and so they said, well, we'd love to see your animation. Can you put us a, a portfolio together? So I got together a scene. I gave him the test of Fagan that I did, which was just him going, Oh, they, oh, they went to, I don't know. You know, it's just a, this thing of him being a, a, an idiot. I gave him the scene. I made a videotape of that scene and some bunch of other crap that I had done, and then I xeroxed all the drawings that I had done in the room and made like a stack of drawings. Mounted it all in this in a portfolio. When I closed the portfolio up, I had packed it full of stacks of twenty dollar bills, hundred dollar bills, and wrapped it with rubber bands and and stuck. Stuffed it when they opened this up, all this money poured out in a note <laughs> saying, "You know, just get me out of here." <laughs> so it's almost like I was bribing them with with <laughs> a million dollars to to work on the film. And cartoon, they thought, they cartoon thought it cartoon money.
1: Cartoon yeah. money. Yeah, they loved
3: it. They loved it. And so I got i I got hired me andreas and phil nibbling we're the only ones interested in working on
1: it uh for for and and again it was the toontown sequence because i actually was working on uh the rest of the picture in london with the with the animation crew in london with richard williams
3: Yeah, yeah you came in right as i was coming back to uh to finish the Warner Brother characters in Toontown,
1: in the Toontown sequence, well, yeah, I
3: in England, all the way up until I remember when you came in, you 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 came in with the first CD player.
1: Yeah, I I, I had that. Uh, I I it was sort of like the Walkman version of a CD player, right? Yeah, and I yeah, we
3: were all looking at that like, "You got to be kidding me!" You are going, "Yeah, <laughs> listen to this," and it's like, "Oh man, oh, this is crazy." <laughs> you know, it was like.
1: I, I, you know, something it was so funny, because when I was at the Camden Town studio in London, I remember like my first day, I set that up on my desk and I had my headphones and I was just like rocking out while I was working at the desk. And that's, yeah. I listened to music all day long. I must have spent like I I mean, I, I don't even know how much I spent at the uh, Virgin Music Store in yeah. uh, uh, in the middle of London, you know, Piccadilly yeah. Circus, that big Virgin music store. I used that's to go right. there like every weekend and get cds
3: oh no that freaked me out that technology i'm i'm like going i couldn't believe you had it it's like i was like how did you get that it's like (laughs) it was almost like it just seemed like an impossible thing to own
1: they, yeah, but it was cool. It was, man. It, it was a so lifesaver. I, it was a lifesaver, too, because the way the Camden Town Studio was set up, there was those big rooms right. and they just had a bunch of desks in there. So there was always right. people walking around and talking and stuff like that. And I could just slap on the headphones and just crank up the music. And I just zoned out. I just yeah. went right into the work and I, I didn't pay attention to anything. I remember, you know, I, I think it was Max Howard or Don Han. came and tapped me on the shoulder and I kind of turned my head slightly and Christopher Lloyd was standing there. Wow. You know, and I had to take my headphones down. I'm like, hi, you know, like, this is Christopher Lloyd. I'm like, cool. How are you? You know, I'm working on effects, blah, blah, blah. And then they walked away and I put my headphones back on. <laughs> and, yeah. and it was just like, I, because I was, you know, Dave, when you're working, you go into your own world. You're in your head when, you, when you're drawing. And when you're in that zone, like everything else disappears. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, yeah,
3: that being, being over there was absolutely crazy. I remember um, when I was, when I was working on the
1: duck sequence. um, And by the way, how did that come about? And, and how was it that you got to do that? I mean, was that um, something you went after?
3: we, We were working when I first came, got, got there. The first thing that they put me on was the, the opening cartoon, and that was done. And the, most of the cartoon was done by.
1: That was Richard Williams. Simon Wells, Richard Williams. Yeah. Um. I mean, I did. Dick Williams did most of the Baby Herman animation.
3: Yeah, and well, and he did, the and, big,
1: and a lot of Roger. The big Roger scene with the the uh, running around the kitchen. With the teapot on his head, that I think that that, was I think that that was that might have been Simon. Okay, Um,
3: Phil Nibbling did the Roger with in the in the kitchen when Baby Herman like falls on the knives, all the knives get thrown and yeah, yeah, and everything. Um, I did the section where. He, the, all the knives go and he's like pinned up against the wall and then hit in the face with a, a plunger or something like that. That was like the very first thing I did. And then I did some other stuff. Did you get on well with Dick Williams? Yeah. Yeah. I love Dick. He was, he was great. He's, he was an
1: artist artist.
3: Oh man. I know that guy guy was the shit. Um, he was the one who's like, I, he was he was like, oh, I, no, you know, you you might be the you might be my my Warner Brothers guy. You might be my Warner Brothers guy because <clears throat> he had looked at my animation at Disney and and stuff. And I always, you know, uh, I I always kind of love the, the the crazy shit. Uh, he so he he put me on the Warner Brothers stuff, um, and then. I, when I started doing the duck sequence, it got to the point where, it, because it, some of the drawings were so small when they're the far away shots. Yeah. That there was, and the, and the, the, the photostats were all blurred out and I couldn't I, see the, the keys. Yeah. And so we had to basically, Kent Holiday translated track red. And told me which key on the piano was down. Wow, song, and then we—I made a grid. We both made a grid to show where that key would be, so I could hit it because I couldn't see it on the, on the, on the photostat. What is that? Just barely, just barely, and so it was really complicated and the idea that someone was else was going to clean that up so i started i i would barely rough it out and then i would i would animate it cleaned up so i was actually anim- when i handed in my scenes at on Roger Rabbit they were cleaned up wow and so then after so then after that i did um
1: but but Dick wanted you to do that dueling piano sequence. Yes. Now, now you, did you only do Daffy Duck or did you do some of the Donald stuff? It, at first it was, it was, um, um, oh my God. Oh. Tony, was it Tony and Salmo? No, Donald, no. He did the voice of Donald Duck. Right. He did the voice.
3: Um, I, Mel Blank did the voice of, of Daffy, Daffy. I told Artie Schmidt to uh, pump, turn it up 30% faster. And I said, boom, there it is because he was Mel Blank sort of did a caricature of Daffy Daffy. And, and he was old. So it was deeper.
1: And yeah, wasn't, wasn't he like in his eighties at that point? Yeah. Yeah. He,
3: he was, he was, he was slower and more bassy. And I said, speed it up 30% and it'll be perfect. And so we turned it we did it on the on the Moviola. Or yeah. the flatbed editor is what we did on the and so they and I went perfect right there. And and we all agreed. And so that was the thing. But the only thing that we couldn't get him to do was the hoo hooing. When when the when Donald Duck pulls out the cannon and blasts a hole in Daffy Duck's piano, Daffy Duck Who's like a lunatic? Yeah, you know, starts going woo-hoo, woo-hoo, woo-hoo. Uh, in order to do that at full volume. It's really a killer on you. It it's almost impossible because it's all air be going out. Yeah, and and I was and Mel Blank was going. Oh man, that that was hard when we I did it when I was young. He's going. I'm not going to be able to do that. So I did it and I pulled a muscle in my groin. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Wow. I, it was like at the top of my leg, it just like, oh man, I pulled a muscle so much because I was torquing my body to go, you know, which you can only do if you really force it. You can't do a quiet version. Like me explaining it to you is not even coming close to the energy that you had to put into it to do to match the Daffy Duck that Mel Blank did back in the forties or even maybe the thirties because he Daffy Duck was an early character. Um, But yeah, that whole sequence was, was interesting. And it kind of started off in a, in a bad way because at first Zemeckis was going, yeah, we're going to, we're going to have Chuck Jones come in and, and, you you guys, you're going to storyboard that sequence. And I'm going, uh, and I said, ah, just, just let me storyboard it. I said, I, I know exactly what Chuck Jones is going to do. He's going to come out there at both piano. They're going to be sitting there. They're going to take off the gloves and the gloves will be a mile long. Yeah. And it'll be a big pile of gloves and they, and they're like going, well, you know, but it's Chuck Jones. I'm going, yeah, but Chuck Jones, he fucked those characters up. Chuck <laughs> Jones messed those characters up. He turned Daffy Duck, who is an, a lunatic, escaped from an, an insane asylum. Yeah, there's nothing you could do to Daffy Duck to win. Right, Daffy Duck, he's insane. That was the that was the Warner Brothers Daffy Duck at the time. Yeah. Chuck Jones turned Daffy Duck into Donald Duck, the angry duck, and that was in the fifties. Yeah, and he turned Bugs Bunny into Mark Twain. Standing, Bugs Bunny was a wise ass from New York, you know, eating a carrot with his mouth open and the food falling out, you know, while he's talking. He was just this—he was a rude, wise ass from New York. Yeah, yeah, I know them well. Chuck Jones turned him into Mark Twain, standing perfectly straight, looking out the eye, looking out his eyes sideways, saying some super smart thing. You know, he destroyed those characters. So I wasn't a big fan of having him do this seek sequ- Help with this yeah. sequence. I'm like, oh, we don't need him. Let's just look. We're doing this. Let's not, let's just,
1: you know. Were they compelled to bring him in?
3: Yeah, they they brought him in. They had already agreed to bring him in. Right. We brought him in. And it's exactly what he did. They start off doing the cracking the fingers.
2: Yeah. Knuckle. Yeah.
3: And then it was a competition between the two of them, cracking knuckles. And then they start taking the gloves off, you know, so they could really get into playing. And then there was a big pile beside each one of them of, of gloves. Yeah. And I and they went okay.
1: You do it, and they they basically said thanks, Chuck.
3: Yeah, this Pre- is good. Thank you very appreciate,
1: much. Appreciate all awesome. your input. Awesome Take idea. care. Yeah, Thank you. and and then off you went and you did your thing.
3: I and I threw all of it out the window. Yeah, and because the photostats weren't coming in in order, we weren't quite sure. Which ones were because they were having problems with the music syncing up and the pianos and trying to edit this song. And it was like, oh my God, wait a minute. We don't have, if we cut from here, then that doesn't make sense for this. We don't have a shot of the piano for this. So they were, they're now thinking, oh, if you storyboard something, it's, it might not be that because we don't know what, how, if these pianos are working yet.
2: Right, right
3: the editing of it and because they were having a problem with the song it, it making, you know, and so I was, they were just giving me scenes and I would animate something happening in them. And then I would have to tie. Oh, okay. Oh, this happened. Oh, now he's over here. So I got to come up with a way to get him from here over to here. So I'll have, Daffy Duck slug him with a a glove or something. And it just, and it was this, I I was making it up as the, as the photos uh, were coming in, coming in. Yeah. And in fact, there's a scene of Daffy Duck where he kind of, kind of does this "Ah," and he pulls his hair back Yeah, and the hairs are kind of long. That's because, at, at Zemeckis wanted at one time that, Hey, how about his hair gets as he's playing, No, he, no, he, his hair, the three little tufts turn into like Beethoven hair.
2: Right. Right.
3: And I went, everybody kind of wanted that. So I went, Oh, okay, I'll do that. Well, I started to do that. And then all of a sudden the, there was a section that wasn't working and they were the, all the scenes of the pianos before that scene or, and after. And so I, I, so I stopped on that one scene. He never, it never continued to grow. Right. Uh, there was a, there was a, there was a bunch of reasons why that for some reason that happened. We didn't have enough time to justify seeing it get longer and longer. And so it just ended up being this total chaos. And then da- and then, um, I, I, I said, well, I'll have Daffy Duck pull out a, a um,
1: the cannon or no,
3: No, the, that was all part of the, We, we had the cannon because the, it, the hole blows out on the, on the the real piano when they shot the live action. Right. So the, that, that shot was there. Um, yeah, it just ended up you, there's times when you see Daffy duck playing both pianos because we got ourselves stuck in a thing where he had just punched, Daffy, Daffy went flying through the piano, the piano closed, but both pianos were still playing in the next scene, which we didn't know that's, that was going to be the next scene. So,
1: so Daffy or Donald, so,
3: Donald so, got. So Donald Duck is now at the grand piano yeah. and playing the other piano with, with his legs stretched out okay. a mile long. And it was because, Oh, the next shot is the, the the only shot that works is the it, there's two pianos. We're seeing both pianos, but Daffy's inside the piano. I don't have enough time to get him. And so I had Donald
1: Duck playing. And, and it works beautifully, by the way. It,
3: it, it, yeah, it, it totally worked. The whole thing worked. And, and that was a, that was such a blast. So when, when that section, uh, when that section ended the only thing that was left was I was gonna do uh Bugs Bunny falling from the sky with Bob Hoskins. Right. And that's when the LA crew got put together because uh everybody was in such an uproar that the film wasn't being done at Disney and they wanted to have something. So they took they went, oh let's have the we'll do the Toontown sequence and, in Los Angeles. Yeah. And because Bugs Bunny was in that sequence, I had to come back, which really pissed me off. I didn't want to go back there with that crew. I didn't want to do it. I, it's like, you know, because I knew, I knew what it was going to look like.
1: Yeah. But you also, you, you were in London. I mean, it was cool oh, being God. in London. You know, I, I, I always tell people, I mean, what was so great about the Camden town studio in London was it was a very international crew, yeah. right? You, you know, yeah. we made, we made friends with people from all oh, over the world, you know? Wonderful. Yeah. I'm, I ended up marrying
3: someone. Was she English? Yeah. Deb was from England.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it was really um uh, yeah. Yeah, that was um that was a life changer. And I was buying I was like on the edge of buying a canal boat
1: to live on. Yeah. Really up in Camden town in one of the Camden locks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, wow.
3: I found one for nine thousand. Wow. No, no, I found one for three thousand nine hundred, which was insanely cheap. And they yeah. were very, at the time they were very cheap. Uh, now that same boat would cost you ninety thousand.
1: I was going to say because they're posh, you know, they're all built out.
3: Yeah. No, it. it I'm still looking now. Yeah. That that's my. That's your goal, my, your dream. Yeah, it's one of my dream exits. Is like to just like because this, this this city's going to eat itself alive in in you know in the very near
1: future it, it's in the process let's it put it to you that way
3: <laughs> you know it's and and as no matter what i'm going yeah but i can just exist on my property no i don't i if i if i stay here i I'll eventually you'll be dragged out of your house on by your heels and then beaten to death you know yeah it's like that's where we're headed it feels like that's where we're heading i just this this place is crazy now
1: well, you know, there's a lot of people that you and I both know that are starting to leave town. You know, yeah. there, there there's an animation population building in Nashville, Tennessee. You know, John Pomeroy is there with his Pomeroy Academy. The Bancroft brothers are there. There's other people that are going there to look at the area that I've talked to that yeah. may that may make the leap, you know. So it's it's kind of sad in a way, um, you know, to see that happening.
3: Yeah, but you know what? I'm ready for an adventure. It's like, you know, I grew up in Orange County, and I came up here. Uh, to go somewhere else would be kind of weird and scary, just but, like coming up here was. I mean,
1: but cool at the same time. Hell yeah! And I, I've
3: got, I have, I have just as many friends in England as I do here.
1: Yeah, exactly.
3: And and the and the great thing about it is, I still kind of talk to all them with the same enthusiasm as I did when when
1: we were young. Well, when we were working on that picture. Yeah. Yeah.
3: You know, I still talk with Keith and Emma all the time, you know. Um, yeah, all those, all those guys. I mean, I, I could definitely do it. I could definitely do it. Um,
1: I think it would be kind of cool living on a canal boat.
3: Hell, yeah. I, and I had a friend who who did live on a canal boat, so I I I've been on one and stayed on one, and so I know what it's like. And did you uh, like it? Hell yes. Yeah. So, okay. You don't have much room, but then again, I'm at the age where I want to get rid of the stuff I've got. I've got I have everything I have is really old, cool shit.
1: Well, and I know you've got a nice collection of some Kem Weber desks.
3: I do. And I've, you know, I've been collecting those for years. I mean, in fact, I was like one of the first people collecting those. When I started at Disney, I, every time the, the recycle or the, the uh, studio paper came out or the union um, uh, newspaper came out, um, I would look in it and it was, and you know, somebody, somebody's wife was selling their husband's desk because he died, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I've I've got I've got stuff that no one that people have never seen before. I mean, I have I bought a. This is how this is how Disney was. I mean, talking about Mary Poppins and chimney sweep brooms and cells from Pinocchio that you, they used to throw away. Um, they they had a pile of desks. In a pile not stacked in a pile
1: like like they were going to burn them
3: like they well they were they were taking desks out and and they had done it before out to the golden oak ranch and throwing them into a
1: A pit yeah a ditch yeah they were burying them them. yeah 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 yeah. and so in in the warehouse
3: they would they were taking these they were taking desks out and i'm like going what are you doing with these things they're going oh they're getting rid of these things And right now, these are going over to the Colorado warehouse, and then all of those are going out to the Golden Oak Ranch or something like that. And I knew that that meant they were burying
1: Yeah, they were being tossed.
3: So I, at the time when I was at Disney, um, Joe Morris took me over to the Colorado warehouse, introduced me to this guy and said, okay, uh, tell this guy what kind of desk you want. Cause I wanted to get a story sketch desk. So I right. had no room in my, in my room at, at work. Yeah. And I didn't want the animators desk. Yeah. I,
1: and, and just so our listeners know the story sketch desk is a smaller, more compact desk, it's a desk
3: but, without any
1: shelves. Right. It has no shelves and, but it does have a drawing board right on it. Yeah.
3: And so, I I wanted to to get one of those. So Joe took me over to pick one out and then the, the movers would move it over and put it in my room. And the guy goes, yeah, take whatever you want, because all this is going to the dump because NBC bought this and they're taking over the warehouse tomorrow. Wow. And so here's this pile of desks. And in that pile of desks was a director's desk.
1: Holy mackerel.
3: And. And so I came back the next day when they were hauling all of that stuff away, putting it in trucks. And I went up to the guy and I said, I'll give you 300 bucks if you, if you let me save that desk. And the guy took it.
1: That's and, awesome.
3: <laughs> and, I, I you know, and you know whose desk that is? Whose? Bill Pete's. Really? Yeah. In the drawer. I told Bill Pete that I had it. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, he, I said, yeah, I said, this one kind of looks like the one that you have in the in, in the I have a photo of you at sitting at your director's desk. And he goes, open the drawer. If it's if if, uh, if, it, if there's if it says in red writing, uh, Ralph Wright and uh, uh, Don degrati Or is it?
1: Don yeah. Yeah Don, yeah. Don degrati
3: Yeah. Um, if their phone numbers are in there, then that's my desk. And I open up the drawer and it's got both those uh, signatures. Wow. He wrote that... it with a red, with a red uh, prism color.
1: That's fantastic. Yeah. I And by the way, I, I hope, and, and I, I know you cherish those desks as much as I do, but I hope when you start to pare things down that you look maybe to the motion picture Academy museum or someplace to see if, you know, rather than definitely,
3: I, because I, I don't think I would find someone to give them to, because most people are going to go. Oh, the first time they move, they're going to be a young kid, and they're, I don't have room for this. And they, yeah, and it goes onto the back patio of some, you know, in the rain and gets destroyed. And that's how that's been the death of most Disney desks. Is and that I, they end up being put outside on the back porch,
1: and the weather takes them out. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, Dave. Just so you know, I'm sitting at a 1939 Chem Weber compact animator's desk. It's the one that doesn't have the uh, the shelves or drawers on the left side, only that's on it. the uh, only that's, on that's, the right that's,
3: side. That's called an assistant desk.
1: No, no, it's not. Look at my Chem Weber book. It, it, I always thought it was an assistant desk as well. It's a compact animator's desk. That's what it. That's what it was called on the blueprints.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah. On yes, and I've seen those.
1: Ali had one at his house with to, to when he worked at home. They,
3: they sort of became the assistants because yes. the, the they used to they could fit more of those into a bullpen. Exactly. They exactly. always called them the big rooms at the end of the like like Eric's training room. Yeah, um, the it was always they could put more of those in there. For yeah. the for the assistants and the in betweeners, but uh, yeah, those, well, that, 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 those are my favorite desks.
1: Yeah, I I I loved it because it was compact. It wasn't yeah. a behemoth, and it had the extra shelf up. Right. You know? Well, yeah.
3: I I like the story sketch desk because I'm horrible with just putting paper. Any like here, I got to get this off here, and I just yeah. next thing I know, I'm going through stacks, going looking for a certain drawing. I was always better with a tabaret with minimal shelves yeah instead of having the the big animation desk shelves yeah yeah So to me it was only to organize my own mind because I'm horrible you give me tons of shelves I'll pack up full of a bunch of wasted dr- drawings that yeah. I don't that I' uh, that I'm passing on
1: yeah and you for, and you forget about and they just get uh, stuffed in all these cubbies <laughs> I totally I totally got it
3: but no, that that you have the best. You have that is, I think, the most efficient animation desk ever designed.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and, and, and you know the sad thing is, is that I think there was only two or three of these left at the studio. Uh, uh, I had one. Ollie had one that eventually went to Mark Kirkland. Uh, who who did a lot of directing on the Simpsons episodes? He has that one, and I, and there may have been one more uh, in the warehouse, but that was it for this particular style of desk. You yeah, know? And, and and it's sad because I I really thought that they really should have held on to at least one example of every single piece that Weber designed. Oh, there were twenty, there were twenty two pieces of furniture he designed for the animation building.
3: You yeah. know, I have to I have to tell you. Something, and I—I I feel really stupid about it. When you were doing your book
1: on Kem Weber's animation furniture,
3: and we were talking about putting pictures and stuff of this in there, I had just gotten rid of one desk. I thought, okay, I have two of this, of uh, two of the story sketch desks. Yeah, I need to make room here, and because I when. When I shut down my studio on, on in Toluca Lake, Spaff
1: animation
3: right I all the, all, of the, all of the desks because it was all Disney desks. you and brought so, them back to your house. everything came back to the house and and it's I, I still do not have enough room for these yeah. desks. And so I sold I put in an auction one of the story sketch desks. it's, it's a, I bought it off of Tony Anselmo. Right, I had that one for years, and i i I sold it, and I put it in an auction, and and it 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 sold for quite a bit.
1: Now, did that sell through a gallery that sold it out of the Miami Art Show?
3: No, it was the Van Eaton
1: Gallery. Okay, it was Van Eaton Gallery. Okay, I got you.
3: And and so I. I had put a little package together, you know, with ashtray and a chair and, and everything and, and sold that one set of stuff and, and it, it, it sold through quite a bit. And then, and so then I was, then I was getting, I got paranoid that Disney was going to go, well, where'd you get that? You know? And because everybody, you know, when you have a collection of anything, everybody, everybody thinks that you.
1: No, but the thing was that the studio was having almost, I don't want to say regular. It wasn't like they had one every year, but every so many years, they'd have that, you know, warehouse sale. Right. And that's where, where, where I people got most... could go and, and buy it. They could buy a desk for a hundred bucks.
3: But I always had, we always had hanging over us um when we left disney that we took all this stuff and i'll tell you one thing nobody took anything no and i remember don bluth was like going don't even take a pencil because they're going to say that we've that we, everything we've got we that we have we took right right and and it wasn't and it was not true yeah and and I remember one time after Roger Rabbit, we were having breakfast with Richard Williams and he took he had um, what was the guy uh, down in the was it Boy, Leroy?
1: Le- Leroy down in the in the yeah. morgue. Yeah. In the morgue.
3: They had had him, invited him to this breakfast because he had helped Richard. Xerox and all this animation yeah. reference for Roger Rabbit.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So
3: we invited him to this breakfast. And we were all going, you know, everybody was kind of talking. And and Leroy said s- said something uh, to the fact of like he goes, Oh yeah. And no, all the animation that you that you guys got from Dave Spafford. And I went, No. I never took one damn drawing, nothing. We took nothing from that studio because we were going to be accused of it. Plus I would have never taken anything out of that studio because I wanted it all to never be touched.
1: Yeah. You, you revered it. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And so at that breakfast, I kind of thought, Oh my God. So because I've been collecting this stuff for ever, ever. Everybody's thinking, "Oh, how how much of that did you walk out the back door?" You know,
1: and it was, and none of it. None. No, and, and you want to know something? I I fully believe that because I, like I said, I'm sitting at my Cam Webber desk. They gave it to me. Yeah. When I was leaving, they came so, in we, and we, said, would you like your desk? And I said, of course, but how am I going to get it to my house? And they said, don't worry about it. We'll have the studio movers bring it up to your home. And I was like, so great, funny. I'll take it. You know,
3: well, I I was paranoid because of the, I, I sold that desk and I thought that brought the attention to Disney. And then all of a sudden this book was being made and I, I never thought that you were trying to see what I had or anything. No,
1: like no, 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 no. I know. Yeah.
3: I know. Yeah, but I was worried that Disney was going to all of a sudden go. Where'd you get all this?
1: Yeah, can I tell you something, Dave? There's been and so I was much been paranoid that they are yeah. going to sue me for. Uh, I, there's been so much turnover at that place; they don't even know what they have anymore, which is a real a shame. You I know. know, and and know. and and it's people like you and I and others who have, you know been able to either have a desk given to them or purchase these pieces of furniture from those warehouse sales that they did over the years that that's really, you know, maintaining the history of this furniture and these examples because they're dwindling. There's not a lot of them out there. I know. I know. I I was, boy, I mean,
3: I, I found, I found a couple people, Paul Carlson. I, I got two desks from Paul Carlson. He was, Nick Nichols uh, assistant, he bought two desks back in the 58 when they downsized the studio and they were selling
1: after Sleeping Beauty. And, and, And by the way, there's a big difference between the original batch from 1937, which has solid core plywood used for them, and the second batch that was made at the studio shop on the on the lot. Uh, right. uh, for the expansion of the crew for Sleeping Beauty, those desks were were made of regular plywood that you would find today at a lumber yard, yeah. you know, the 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 glued layered. But but the ones that were done in 1939 were, right. were are called solid core plywood where they put boards together and then veneer yeah, on, on what's that? It's birch plywood, yeah. high-grade birch plywood. It's it, it a solid-core birch plywood, so they, they end glue boards together and yeah. then put a veneer top and yeah. bottom on it, you know? I mean, beautiful, be- beautiful. I mean, just I gorgeous wood.
3: Uh, I know. It's like, I mean, <laughs> I, I still love it, but it's like it does, I do think, you know, who would I give this to? I, I could care less about making money off it or anything like that. To me, it's like if I decide to one day move onto a canal boat.
1: You can't take it with you.
3: No. And I it would tear me up to give it to people who would want it, because I know that the first time they had to move, uh. it would now be in the wrong place.
1: Well, you know, in my in my mind, these are the, the these are the types of pieces that are ripe for museum collections. Right. You know, and, and and that's something you should give some thought to. And, yeah, and, the other, and the other thing, too, is put them in an auction, put them in the Van Eaton auction, you know, because then you'll get, you know, some somebody who appreciates the furniture will purchase it, you know, and they'll be the care caretaker of that piece of furniture for however long they hold on to it. I think I'd rather have it be in a museum. Yeah. You know, I and I don't and- know
3: how good the Disney Museum is with
1: you know what? The thing I would say is that there is a ton of furniture museums around the country or large museums that have furniture collections that I think will would would love to have a piece of chem Weber. Kem Weber furniture is highly collectible today. You know yeah. that, yeah. you know. And so Anyway, something for us to talk about offline. Listen, we're bumping up against time again. So here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say goodbye to you, but we're going to have you back for a fourth episode because I want to get into Little Mermaid and some of the other smaller projects you did at Disney before you left and set up Spaff Animation and did a bunch of other stuff. So if that's good with you, I'm going to say goodbye uh, and thank you for being on the Skull Rock Podcast for this third episode. Sounds wonderful. Been fun.
0: Become a supporter of Skull Rock Podcast with small monthly donations to help sustain future episodes for just 99 cents a month. You can do that just like Lindsay and Joshua. Thank you so much for your support of our show. Be sure to click our link to support the show at skullrockpodcast.com forward slash support.
1: Your attention, please. Now loading on track number one
2: for a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom.
1: Skull Rock Podcast.
2: All aboard your main street to the World of Disney.
0: Another awesome interview in the can for Mr. David Spafford. <laughs> Man, the stories this guy can tell.
1: You know, and I just enjoy talking with Dave. Uh, you know, he's he's an incredible talent and, and just it, it's just fun to have conversations with him and hear some of these stories.
0: Nice. Uh, Yeah. And what a great guy. I tell you what, looking forward to having Dave back on the show and uh, talking more about his work with Disney and his artistic, uh, his artistic stuff that he's got going on. I love it. Absolutely love it. I tell you what though, gang, be sure to share this podcast with your friends. We appreciate that. Give us those five-star reviews. Subscribe to us everywhere. You get podcasts. Uh, recently, Stitcher Radio went down. So now to subscribe to us, we're on Spotify, Amazon, iHeartRadio, iTunes, of course. Go and check those places out and every Apple. other place. Apple, yes. And Google, everywhere you find podcasts. And once again, if you love Disney and pop culture, subscribe uh, once again and give us a follow if you will on social, Facebook, Twitter, or I should say Twitter. It should be X now. Uh, X, LinkedIn. You can find Dave on LinkedIn as well be sure to follow Skull Rock Podcast. Uh, we've got all of our great shows there on Anchor or on Spotify. Please check that out. Drop us those emails. We would appreciate it. Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com or John at SkullRockPodcast.com Podcast.com. also like to send a shout out to all of our friends there at the Sorcerer Radio Network Disney Dorks, Laughing Place all those great places you can find our podcast at uh, and of course all the great groups that support our podcast online as well. Dave.
1: Well, I, I have to tell you, Al, John, it is heating up. I'm going to be on Disney Coast to Coast. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be doing other podcasts, uh, and I just want to give a shout out to all of our fellow podcasters uh, for the great job they do on all of the uh, different shows that are out there. Uh, so thank you all for that. And, uh, and thank you in advance, uh, to many of them who are going to be having me on their show in the coming months, uh, to promote some of my books.
0: Yep. Looking forward to co-promoting them as well, Dave. Yeah. And,
1: uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. (laughs) All right. All I was going to tell you was, uh, summer's over it's labor day it's labor day it's traditional end of summer as far as i'm concerned so uh go out uh, have a fantastic week as you get back into things and uh be good to one another and we'll see you next monday right here on the skull rock podcast